Welcome to Salt and Light with Pastor Rodney Finch. Salt and Light is a radio outreach ministry of Calvary Chapel, Cary. Jesus, speak to me. Open your word and reveal your heart to me. Salt and Light is a series of verse-by-verse studies through the Bible, focusing on its practical application to our everyday lives. Salt and Light is recorded live at Calvary Chapel, Cary, in Apex, North Carolina. Stay tuned. At the end of the program, we will give you information on how to contact us, so be sure to have a pen and paper ready. Today, Pastor Rodney will be teaching from the book of John, chapter 12. So grab your Bibles and follow along. Now with today's teaching, here's Pastor Rodney. Listen, it's the same story for 2,000 years. It doesn't change. We've all heard it before, and we will keep hearing it. Am I right about it? We'll keep hearing it until Jesus comes. It is the same story, but you meet people like that that say, oh, you know, I've heard it before. Listen, you can refuse Jesus so many times that God stops calling. And if God ever stops calling, I hope you're listening. If God ever stops calling you, you can't be saved. If God ever stops drawing, it's impossible to come to Jesus. John 6, write it down. No one comes to Jesus unless the Father does what? Draws him. Listen, if you don't hear anything else I say, listen to this. Grace passes. Grace passes. It passed during Noah's time. It passed for Israel. It passed for the nations in the Old Testament, and it can pass for an individual. I think of Hebrews chapter 10, verse 26. For if we sin willfully after we have received the knowledge of the truth, there no longer remains a sacrifice for sins, but a certain fearful expectation of judgment and fiery indignation, which will devour the adversaries. In other words, if you have heard the truth of Jesus and repeatedly say no, you repeatedly refuse the one sacrifice. Did you hear me? The one sacrifice for sin, which is Jesus Christ. And then there is no more sacrifice. You're hopeless. In other words, if someone chooses to keep sinning after they understand the way of salvation, there's no covering for their sin, but a fearful expectation of covering coming judgment. Word to the wise. If there's any, listen to me close. If there's any kind of sensitivity in your heart to God, if you feel the least pull of God toward Jesus, if you feel the smallest desire to come to Christ, then I beg you, listen, give your life to Christ today before the light goes out in this permanent darkness. Am I right about it? Give your life to him today. Now in our text, this is the final call to Israel. Believe while you still can. Particularly Jesus is warning Israel to believe in the light while they have the light before God removes the light. Walk in the light, believe in the light, and you'll become the sons of light. Real simple, accept him before it's too late. Now look at verse 36 in your Bibles. It tells us these things Jesus spoke and he departed. Jesus left. You know, I have written in my margin, this is really sad. He departed. He was hidden. Did you get that? Their Messiah had come. Their Messiah had gone. Except for a few souls, Israel did not believe. He left. And Luke tells us they waited for him, but he never showed up. It's over. Verse 37, nevertheless, although he had done so many signs before them, they did not believe in him. Now listen, you always have critics 
who say the very fact that the Jews rejected him and were suspicious of him is cause for pause. Maybe Christianity was just a hoax. Maybe Christianity was just another cult. Why would intelligent religious people like the Jews and a whole nation reject the obvious proof? Well, maybe the miracles didn't happen at all. Listen, John puts that theory to rest in verse 37. Although he had done so many signs. Are y'all looking at verse 37? Although he had done so many signs before them, they did not believe in him. John says, listen, Jesus' miracles were legitimate. Israel had absolutely no excuse for unbelief. Miracles did happen. They weren't fantasies or myths or made-up fairy tales. They happened. In fact, Jesus did the miracles, and they still didn't believe. Remember? He healed the sick. Are you listening? He healed the sick. He, 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 he cast out demons. He hushed the seed to sleep. He controlled the nature and said, peace be still. He walked on water. He turned water to wine. He, he fed 5,000, up to 15,000 with women and children with two, what? Two fish, not loaves, fish, fish. With two fish and five loaves of bread. That's a miracle. Amen. He healed men of all kinds of diseases. He raised the dead. He had done all these things right in front of them, legitimate miracles. It wasn't a question, did it happen? It was a question of belief. And that's why you don't argue with people about Jesus. Listen, I don't argue with people about Jesus. You either believe it or you don't. The reality is Jesus is a historical fact. You cannot get away from that. Historically, outside of the Bible, we call that extra biblical evidence outside of the scriptures. There was a man named Jesus who suffered for our, for sins, who bled and he died and they hung him on the cross. This is history now, Wikipedia. Are y'all with me? Who went to the cross and they buried him. And three days later, they came to find him and he was not there. And they cannot find him and they haven't found him yet because he is risen, the Bible says. That's a fact. You can't argue with that. So you, I don't argue with people. You either believe it or you don't. And if you argue with people, you know what? Sometimes that just makes, you know, you become a fool like them. You know, my mama used to tell me, my mother's name is Gertrude, and she has a list of isms. God knows that woman should write a book. She has a list of isms. And one of them, I call them a Gertrudeism. She says, you don't argue with a fool. Some folks is just an educated fool. Some folks just educated fools. She says, everybody don't argue with a fool. And she's right. And the Bible says that in Proverbs 26, 4. Don't answer a fool according to his folly, lest you also be like him. Again, the miracles were real and legitimate. And I'll give it to you early. Fast forward to verse 43. Look at it. The problem is they love the praise of men. Are y'all looking at verse 43? They love the praise of men more than the praise of who? You see, people do the same thing today, don't they? If people refuse Christ, it doesn't mean that Christ isn't real. The problem is the issue of the heart. Remember I told you, Calvary Chapel, the heart of the matter, y'all help me. The heart of the matter is the matter of the heart. The issue is the heart. The problem is the hardness and the depth of sin that is in the heart. So if you're here today and you've never made a commitment to Christ, the problem isn't you need more evidence. 
You need the shackles that are wrapped around your heart broken. You need the blindness that's over your eyes to be lifted. In our text, John let us know the problem was not with Christ. The problem was with the callous, insensitive, blind hearts. Oh, I know what I'm talking about. 1982, January 23rd, you know that. I love to tell people my testimony. I love it. You know why? Because it's mine. January 23rd, 1982, I gave my life to Jesus Christ. I started doing drugs when I was nine years old. My father was a drug dealer. I'm from Philadelphia. I'm supposed to be a statistic. I'm supposed to be in jail. I'm supposed to be on crack, in jail, dead. Thank you, Mom. Although, that's a little harsh. Um, (laughs) But true. And God's been good to me. And God saved me. And I will never forget the day that God saved me. I didn't tell this first and second, so somebody must need to hear this right now. The day that God saved me, the next morning, which was the 24th, I was living in the BEQ on base at Camp Pendleton. I was in the military. And I got up and went to church because the pastor the night before said, you know, now you need to start going to church that you became a Christian. Now you need to be, you go to church. So I got up and I was going to church and, and I didn't have a car, so I had to take the bus. And I remember walking across this field, uh, a dirt lot. And I remember looking at the dirt and I started crying. Because, listen, when you start doing drugs at nine years old, you don't see things as they are. You don't see the blue sky. You don't see the green grass. You don't see the brown dirt. Everything is a haze. Everything is just a bit, it's like a film over your eyes. But when God saves you, and when God fills you with his Holy Spirit, it's almost like he peels this film off of your eyes, and then you really see things as they are. Am I right about it? You see things as they are. And I don't think that just happened to me. And, and I saw the grass was green, and I started crying. And I started thanking the Lord for just saving me. Because I was nothing. And God saved me. And the Bible says that God will make something beautiful from ashes. This is the kind of God we serve. He makes beauty out of ashes. Can somebody get excited about that? And he did with me. And he removed that callous heart, that insensitive heart. Look at verse 38, back to our text. They did not believe in him, and here's why. That, did I hear you talking that word, that? The word of Isaiah the prophet might be fulfilled. Jesus says their unbelief was predicted centuries before, probably about 700 years, by Isaiah. And then he quotes Isaiah chapter 6. If you're taking notes, you write that down in your margin. And he quotes Isaiah 53. Now, there are people who have done theological cartwheels over this verse. Because they're trying to explain these verses and and they don't understand. It's real simple. In verse 37, they did not believe, look at verse 38, that the word 
of Isaiah might be fulfilled. In other words, they were victims of God's sovereign plan and prophecy. In verse 39, they could not, when we say they, we're talking about Israel. Are y'all getting that? They could not believe because God, not Satan, blinded them. Satan blinded them first, but God is allowing them to remain in their blindness. Verse 38 says that the word of Isaiah might be fulfilled. Isaiah 53, 1. Who has believed on report? And to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? Isaiah 53 is talking about the Messiah and asking the question, who's going to believe? Now, the arm of the Lord, if you're taking notes, you write this down, refers to his miracles. It refers to his power. Isaiah is asking, who's going to believe his miracles? And who's going to believe his power? And who's going to believe his almightiness? And the implied answer is hardly anybody. Few will believe. So it was prophesied, which tells us that their unbelief is no accident. Listen, this is hard to understand, but you need to get this. And here is the reason why verse-by-verse Bible study is critical. Because if you don't study the word verse-by-verse, things like this, you will miss it. You'll never get it. What God is saying here is that the divine order demands those who willfully harden themselves will be hardened even further. Did y'all get that? Those who willfully harden themselves will be hardened even further, and those who stiffen themselves will be made more stiff. Hmm. So then the question, if his miracles were so obvious, then why didn't Israel believe? Well, listen, hang on to your hat. Israel didn't believe because God blinded them. It was God's plan. God designed it. It wasn't an accident. Verse 38, they believe not that Isaiah might be fulfilled. That word that, if you're taking notes, is hina, H-I-N-A. It's a clause. In Greek, it means exactly what it means. They didn't believe in him for the purpose of Isaiah being fulfilled. Note this, Bible students. It doesn't say they didn't believe and it was fulfilled. No. It says, are y'all tracking with me? It says they didn't believe in order that it might be fulfilled. In other words, God's design in his plan of prophecy, their unbelief. And this is hard for us to digest, but we call this sovereignty. And God planning the unbelief, blindness, and hardness of Israel does not take away or contradict their responsibility to believe. The unbelief of Israel is a guilty unbelief. Our unbelief is a guilty unbelief. Man has a responsibility to believe in Jesus. Write this down, John 3, 18. Jesus said, whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe in him is condemned already. Why? Because he has not believed in the name of the only Son of God. God has sovereignty over all, over everything. The word sovereign, it means God does what he wants. That's what the word sovereign means. It means he does what he pleases. Sovereignty, does what he pleases. I have sovereignty in my home. Amen. When I come in, the kids bring my slippers. The dog brings the newspaper. What else happens in a normal home? Sovereignty means he does what he pleases. And God, listen, does what he pleases. God has sovereignty over 
who believes in Jesus and who does not. And both are true, whether we understand it or not. And there are many things in the Bible that I don't understand, but it doesn't mean I don't believe it. I may not understand it, but it doesn't mean I don't believe it. Well, look at verse 39. It tells us they could not. Are you looking at verse 39? If you look at verse 39, say I'm looking at it. Therefore, they could not believe because Isaiah said, write this in your margins, Isaiah 6.10. Just write that in your margin. Isaiah 6.10. Make the heart of this people dull and their ears heavy and shut their eyes, lest they should see with their eyes and hear with their ears and understand with their heart and return and be healed. And that's why I can't stress it enough. It's a consequence when you don't respond to the calling of God because someday he may stop calling and then God will harden you in the position that you have taken. Don't you know your Bibles? Moses is challenging Pharaoh to let the people go. And if you read the story and you watch and you see the progress developing while Pharaoh's heart, it becomes harder. Exodus 7, 13, and Pharaoh's heart grew hard. Exodus 8, 32, but Pharaoh hardened his heart. Exodus 9, 7, but the heart of Pharaoh became hard. Exodus 9, 12, but the Lord hardened the heart of Pharaoh. So over and over, Pharaoh hardened his own heart until the day that God stepped in and finished the job for him, until they no longer have the ability to turn around and receive God's help. And God is saying to Israel, nobody is going to believe. God said, this is how it's going to be because they're going to refuse and I'm going to harden their hearts in their refusal. Listen, God knew that they would reject him and their rejection in his master plan brought about the death of Christ and the birth of the church. I think of Isaiah chapter 55, verse 6 and 7. It tells us to seek the Lord. Y'all come on, read it with me and read it like you mean it. Seek the Lord while he may be found and call upon him while he is near. Let the wicked forsake his way and the unrighteous man his thoughts and let him return to the Lord and he will have mercy on him. Look at verse 42 in chapter, uh, chapter 12. Some of the rulers believed in him, but because of the Pharisees, they did not confess him lest they should be excommunicated. So listen, even though God had blinded and hardened the nation, there were individuals who believed and some of them were chief priests. Now, you might remember, if you've been with me in John, John 9, 22 said that if anyone followed Jesus, the chief ruler said they were to be put out of the synagogue. Remember that? Or they were to be excommunicated. Well, in Hebrew, I told you this word. Are y'all with me? In Hebrew, I told you this word excommunicated means unsynagogued, unsynagogued. Being unsynagogued meant you lost your ability to pray to God. You lost your ability to be blessed by God. You lost your family. You would be treated as if you were dead. You lost your business. You'd be avoided by all Jews. That was financial ruin. If you were unsynagogued, that meant social, relational, financial, spiritual, and even practical bankruptcy. Look at verse 43. They didn't confess Jesus because they loved the praise of men. And things have not changed, have they? People love the praise of men. How many times have we not shared the gospel because of the praise of men? We don't want people to look at us a certain way. Or we allow the world's thinking to dictate sharing the gospel. Or we say, you know, we don't talk religion and politics because of the praise of men. 
Everybody has a right to believe what they want, people say nowadays. Even Christian families, you know, I was shocked to find out and talk to even Christian families nowadays are saying, well, you know, I'm going to let my, my kids, you know, choose what religion they want to be a part of. Parents, listen, that is a mistake. Okay? Y'all need to say a better amen than that. That's a mistake. I'm going to let my children decide. We just read it, that, that, that we as parents... Children are heritage from the Lord. Did we not just read that? And we as parents have a responsibility like a warrior to take that arrow, which would be your child, and to lead them, direct them to the target of the Lord. The Bible says to raise your children in the fear and the admonition of the Lord. No, I'm not letting my children choose what religion, especially if I'm paying the rent. Where are my people at? Hallelujah. Yes, sir. No, 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 no. You live in my house and eat my food, you're going to worship my God. (laughs) Absolutely. But this is what's going on in the world. Why? Because we want the praise of men or we want the praise of our children. We want to be our kids' friends. I mean, people say, oh, I want to be friends with my kids. Listen, parents, listen, this one's for you. Listen to me. Don't worry about being your child's friend, okay? You worry about being their parent. They got friends out leading them astray out in school and everywhere else, okay? You need to be a parent. Don't try to be their friend. And let me tell you how this works. Now, my son, and my son, the, the big black guy on the drums... You can't miss him. Um, he's on the drums. He's been playing drums since we started this church. He was 15 years old when he was the church drummer. He still is. And, uh, and my daughter, who was singing today, um, she's on the worship team. And I've raised my children in the church. And I have been a father to them. I have told my children, and y'all need to get this verbiage in your vocabulary. I'm not trying to be your friend. I don't want to be your friend. I don't even like you. I just have to take care of you because you showed up. By virtue of some interactions, there you were. But I don't really like you. My family is going to kill me after this sermon. I I am so dead. If you don't see me next week, just know I'm with Jesus. (laughs) Just say, Pastor Ronnie is with the Lord, with the good Lord up above. And uh, (laughs) no, I've told my kids, I I really mean this. I've told them I'm not trying to be your friend. I'm trying to be your father. And let me tell you something. In being their father and being their parent, if you concern yourself there, you will wind up their friend. You will be their friend. But if you do it the other way around, you won't be either. You lose. That's just a freebie. I'm just trying to help you. I'm your pastor. I love you. I'm trying to help you. Raise your children to love the Lord and to serve the Lord. Bring them to church. My kids have been raised from the nursery. My wife had a baby. She spit them out this week, two weeks later. 
we we she literally spit him out. And and uh, <laughs> we bring bring him to church in the nursery, right back to ministry. They went through nursery, the first grade, and the second grade, and the third grade. Some of y'all parents know what I'm talking about because you've done the same. And then and through the nursery and the, the first grade and the second grade and third grade and all through the grades. And then they go to junior high and they got a big worship thing down there where they play extremely loud, obnoxious music. And then they, they're, that's why they're in another building. And, um, and then they learn and, they, and, they, and then the youth pastor here teaches verse by verse just like we do. So then when they come up to big church, then it's, it's normal. Church is normal. Then your children get old enough and they move out and, you know, they, they, they say, Dad, Dad, I got to find a church. That's a blessing. Or they move out and they just come to church. I don't call them up and say, where y'all at? You have been listening to Salt and Light, a radio outreach ministry of Pastor Rodney Finch in Calvary Chapel, Cary, located in Apex, North Carolina. Join Pastor Rodney Monday through Friday at this same time. For information regarding service times, you can contact us at 1-800-293-0923. That's 1-800-293-0923. You may listen to today's broadcast in its entirety by visiting the Media Library on our website at cccary.org. We would like to thank you for tuning in to Salt and Light and pray that you have been blessed. Until next time, may you be salt and light.